ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Dying Time is here. That's right, we're still talking Fear No Evil on Kill by Kill. state new york this is the kill by kill podcast where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film the characters now we're going to unpack all the gory details of fear no evil 1981 version in the hopes that an unfortunate co-ed's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make at their expense and as always there is one person I trust that if I get into a pool to go skinny dipping, the first side of a zombie, she'll take off in the other direction without me. The one, the only, Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing today, Gina? Yeah, I'm just leaving you to, just to, to flail around there. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> God, Godspeed and all that. But when I see like like you oatmeal face zombies coming, you're, you're on your own. Yeah, it's time to beat feet. And if I'm just sticking around like, hey, I, the water's fine to me, it's kind of on me in that sitch. Exactly, exactly. Every man for himself. <laughs> That's right. Well, I don't want to alarm you, Gina, but we are not alone. That is right. We have a special guest. He is the former editor-in-chief of Dread Central, but now is one half of the genre distribution label, The Horror Collective. He is the one, the only Jonathan Barkhan, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing so well. Thank you very much for having me. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm excellent. Are, are you making fun of my radio yak? Because I have this uh, big uh, microphone arm now, and it makes me feel like a big boy DJ. You know what? I'm going to tell you right now, I'm speaking into a mic that is on a mic arm. And if you want, I'm more than happy to pull out my radio voice. There we go. <laughs> a whole lot of ad copy voice. So, I, think, I think together, you and I, we could absolutely um, reinvent the radio commercial guy, yakety yak kind of presentation. You know, oh, so you're looking for some some soup for dinner tonight something like i don't know i'm making a fool of myself but i think we can pull it off you you got you no, get the I, idea i like i like this presentation old tiny soup cell no this yes. we could we could roll with this um campbells John, uh we need a sponsorship right now that's right the future is is uh soup cans and uh, just <laughs> jump on board right now hey warhol knew it so if that's if right. he knew it i think we can do it jonathan uh, you have been steeped in horror for quite some time now. Yes. But yep. had you ever watched 1981's Fear No Evil before I asked you to? No. And what an experience, I must say. <laughs> I don't know how this movie slipped under so many people's radars. I, I really don't because it's just so its own baffling thing that I would feel like you know, it would, strictly on, on word of mouth that more people will be familiar with it. I mean, you know? it's got a killer soundtrack and I have to believe that's why it was sort of kept off of a, a leap from uh, format to format. It just must have been held to clear on some point and God knows who actually owned the rights to this. I still find it baffling that the director of this went on to make Lady in White, which is 
a very composed, very classical sort of gothic no, horror film. No male characters grow breasts. <laughs> nobody, nobody uh, uh, sexually assaults his girlfriend with a handgun. No. Oh my god. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack in this film. There really is. I yeah. I am astounded by it. Uh, I'm amazed by it, and that's why I felt we needed to give this. More than just a one and done. We, we needed to really get into the details here. So why waste time any further? Let's get into it. It's time for a quick body count. Who is still left alive at this point in the movie? Nearly everyone, strangely enough. Well, we got one Antichrist who runs hot in the shower and cold in bed. We've got one <laughs> undercover angel who's lost her boyfriend in a demonically enhanced game of dodgeball. And no... That's not a joke that I wrote. That's something that honestly that happens. Literally happens. I want I watched, you to know. I watched it again just to like <laughs> make sure I hadn't had some sort of fever-induced hallucination. <laughs> yes, that uh, I genuinely was when I was watching the film. I was you know into it and you know flabbergasted and baffled by this film because it really is something. I think special is the correct word to use here. But when that dodgeball scene happened, I was actually on the edge of my seat because I could not understand how they made something so mundane, so outlandish and intense. It's it's a marvel to behold. I mean, you just don't think someone's going to die at the end of this dodgeball game. You don't even think that in dodgeball the movie. Nevertheless, fear no evil. I mean, the people at the Omen franchise must have felt like, oh, we're on notice. We really got to step it up for part three. The demons are sending dodgeballs into people's chests and pinning them to walls. Was it was it his chest? Because, I don't know, I saw, I watched it again and I paid attention. I really think it was a crotch shot. <laughs> Um, I have it up right now, and it's just because we're we're you know we this is where we stopped last time. Yeah, and and, and Andrew, or as I'm going to begin to call him, Andrewcifer, really begins to <laughs> tremble. The coach comes out, he shoves people to the side, yes. and it's the actual throw does hit him in the balls. But when the the camera pans out, and it's just our poor. Columbia Music Group uh, future graduate. He's pinned, and it's in his sort of below his rib cage and at his stomach. So okay. the actual throw totally nailed him in the balls. But every, the rest of the crew- so now my immediate question, and this is simply because I was very fond of math in uh-huh. school as I was growing up. Immediately, sure. I'm wondering what the slope of his genitals is such that a dodgeball can hit at the testicles and ride up into the stomach region, into the abs. Oh, my, I'm, I'm having a beautiful mind sequence happening in front of me right now. Yeah. There's a lot of equations. <laughs> this is There's Zach Galifianakis in, in the casino in Hangover. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, there are two additional points. Um just riffing off that sequence. One, uh, the, the, the coach, obviously, he's having a meltdown. We talked about that a lot in the last episode. But the rest of the class kind of walks over like, is he going to get up? Well, And they don't even see, like, the coach just falls to his knees. He's like, oh, God. Like, like he, he just, you know, immediately, you know, he doesn't, he, he's not like, you know, 
startled or shocked or anything. It's like almost like, oh my god, I can't believe this happened again. <laughs> and he doesn't call for help or anything. He's not like, hey, one of you, get an ambulance or something. It's just, I'm going to fall to my knees in some Shakespearean grief and wail while the rest of the kids are like, uh, does this mean we're dismissed? Now, the, the only thing he's missing is a shot from above and two handguns to start shooting into the sky and yelling, no. That's the scene he's having, and everyone else is like, does this mean we got the rest of the period off? You know, <laughs> the, the way you're describing that, uh, I have to reference another movie, uh, Pet Cemetery, not the new one, the original, and it's after Gage gets hit by the truck and his dad runs over, and I can't remember who played his father, forgive me, and he falls to his knees, and I, I swear that he, when he screams no, he stutter builds up to it, so all you hear is, no, 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 no! And that's it, it, it what I like the coach. It, it, it sounds like someone's revving an engine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. That's exactly what it is. It's revving the engine of grief. And God, it, it makes me laugh every single time. Well, what's, what's odd in the scene is that Lucifer seems a little frightened and upset by, by what he has done. And then in the very next scene, he's all right with it. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's okay being the Antichrist. He, he, he's, you know, he's accepted it. He's, he's resigned to it. You know, he's murdering dogs and drinking <laughs> their blood. He, he's okay with it. No, I think it tips the scales. Like he was on one side before and now he's uh, feeling his demonic oats, as it were. Uh, of course, uh, be- between that and the rest of his journey is we have this poor guy's funeral. And it starts- <laughs> his 75-year-old parents. Again, everyone in this town born to septuagenarians and his casket is brought in by a bunch of guys, none of whom know where their feet are. And at three of his six (laughs) pallbearers trip as they're laying his coffin to rest. It's glorious. And the fact that no one was like, hey, could we do a take two? Nah, moving on, moving on, everyone. We got it. In a weird way. In a weird way, I admire that because life isn't clean. It isn't neat. And sometimes you're going to trip and nearly drop a casket at a funeral. So, <laughs> you know right. what? Good for them. That's right. And so Mark's funeral is super well attended, at least at the start, with the, the local AARP uh, parents. And then it slowly goes down to the the core people. You You've got his girlfriend who is a person with hair. Um, she's got a face and she trembles a lot. I just, I try not to focus on she looks confused poor performances, but most of the time she doesn't look scared or anything. She looks confused. <laughs> I, but I think that draws me in because I too am confused by a lot of the images and developments that are on display here. It then sort of uh, dwindles down even more to uh, her, her old parents, the other undercover angel who's just waiting for her to wake up and realize she's part of a throuple, a holy throuple, I guess. (laughs) I tried to make a Trinity joke, but it didn't work. (laughs) But none of the girl gang is there. Uh, Tony, the Vinny Barbarino who's missing a few DNA sequences, he's nowhere to be found. So it just dwindles down and then she's left and she kind of 
drops a rose on top of the casket. And then uh, the other, the older uh, archangel uh, puts a crucifix on top of the casket. And Andrew kind of backs away like a Rottweiler has just been released. He's just going, ooh, ooh, ooh. And just skips backwards <laughs> like he's in football practice. Yeah, he, um, you know, every, again, like I say, I saw this movie twice because the first time I watched it, I just, I couldn't wrap my head around it. I needed a second viewing so that I could really dig into it. And that sequence, it's just, it's so over the top and melodramatic. I mean, to the point that Kathleen Roe McAllen, who plays Julie uh, slash Gabriel in this film, she's even stated that, she thinks she's the worst actress in the entire film. And I am so proud of her for her self-awareness. Because good Lord. She's not wrong. She just isn't. It's pretty bad, but in a way that's rather remarkable. Like she committed to being bad. Yeah. And she succeeded on an admirable level. The shots just kind of go on like they were, people were dared to see like, well, don't, don't cut away. Just keep the shot going. No, because I mean, as you said, she puts a rose on the casket, but you can see as she's doing it, she's like, okay, I need to make sure that my arm is trembling, that my shoulders are slightly heaving. Like you can see she's going through the checklist in her mind of what a girlfriend grieving her boyfriend slash secret fiance should look like. <laughs> and it's it's so rote and mechanical. It's it's just a miracle of what not to do in front of the camera. And yet it goes on. So let's talk about the the following scene in which one of the former archangels talks to a tombstone. Meanwhile, Julie slash Gabrielle has a uh, an odder dream than she had the night before in which a guy with uh, sex nerve sex nerve hives came to make out with her poorly. And then Andrew is demon swinging and somehow managed to, to telekinetically bring a branch down on somebody's head. And then like, scene over everyone, and they all walk away. <laughs> it's again one of those things that as I watched it, I just, I was sitting there trying to understand what, everyone was going through when they were writing this? Like, what were they thinking? (laughs) Did they actually sit there and go, okay, so Andrew, who up until now has been super creepy, but as an adult, like he's just a creepy older teenager doing older teenager stuff. Let's put him on a swing set. Why? (laughs) No reason whatsoever. And then let's have him look up at a branch and go, yeah, this, this makes sense. Yeah, he's he's got demon branch powers. You know, the things that your priest always told you about in Sunday school, I imagine. Fuck if I know. But I'll tell you this. It just, it just this movie makes some fucking decisions and really does commit to them. I mean, yeah. this dream that Julie's having is of Father Damon's time in what appears to be medieval times jail. Oh, is that where he has like the 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 guard who's like splattered in vomit? Yes. <laughs> because clearly, if you're the guard of a jail, you need to be gross as hell. 
but I think it's the gross as hell part of Castle Dracul. I don't know where this man is staying, but it's not a formal institution. He His bed is on the floor. Whatever is going on in Upper State New York in their jail system, this is an indictment of it. Attica, Attica. <laughs> you've really got to look at this and, and admit, this is probably a three, if they're lucky, four-star rating on TripAdvisor. <laughs> That's right. I'm going to pick another jail to go to. I just don't feel that the service rises to the level that I'm accustomed to. And for his trouble, Father Damon gets his hand stepped on and then Julie feels it on her carpet and then it fades to her just sleeping plaintively and her elderly parents talking in ADR. Cut to Margaret's walk of shame with her bloody forehead in which she goes up to a, a well, pumps a little water, and then splashes water nowhere near the makeup they've put on her face so that she doesn't ruin it. <laughs> but I'll tell you this. She stumbles away convincingly. Yes. I feel like she knows how to stumble. So you got to give it that, everyone. Uh, Gabriel or Julie... I don't know. It kind of blurs at this point. She uh, then after this realizes there's something going on. Like she's not going to find answers here at home. She's got to go out and find the other component to this other life that she's seeing. So she packs a couple bags and we learn a couple things. She makes a terrible hobo. She doesn't pack any fucking clothes. She just takes two bags that appear to be empty and walks out the door and then she finds uh, she finds this elderly woman and begins to communicate with her, not in words so much as Morris code trembling. Her, her face uh, <laughs> vibrates. Okay, like it's receiving. Stop a call. everything! Stop everything! Hold the yeah. phones. I need you to do that trembling sound again. <laughs> that. <laughs> Uh, it's a talent. Also, you have to you have to vocalize it in some way. I mean, this is an audio I, I, format. Listen, I, I I wish that I were as high right now for that moment as the writers of this film were when they put this thing together. I I think though that there's a lot of seriousness to this. I, I there's a, a great deal of unintentional humor, but I believe that they thought. When they were filming this, like this is gonna work, everyone. Oh yeah, no, this is this is done without a drop of humor or, or winking at the audience, or no. they, they take this up very seriously. It I mean, does, and there's a there's a certain charm to the film as a result. And you know, earlier you had mentioned that you know the soundtrack to this film is pretty badass. And, you know, obviously it really is with bands like the Talking Heads and B-52s, Sex Pistols, Ramones. It's great. It really yeah. is. But, I, but I'm but i going to be genuine here and say that the music by Frank Lalogia, and who also wrote and directed it and produced it, it's the music is actually really good. Like, this is the kind of soundtrack that I would genuinely buy a vinyl copy of if Death Waltz put it out. Yeah. I mean, this movie was made for a hundred, what, like, uh, I think it was like $150,000. So no, there's he, a uh, lot of The director ambition. raised that much on his own, but the budget definitely went a bit higher. Uh, oh, I okay. think it was, I think it was close to 
it was in the high six figures, low to mid seven figures, but it made its money back. Yeah. Here's what I like about movies like this, right? I don't want to go to the ballpark and pay for parking and walk all the way to my seats and pay for everything else to sit down and watch somebody swing for singles, you know, maybe get a double aim point to the left field and fucking try to hit a home run. And if your bat just swings you around and you become like the Tasmanian devil and the bat hits you in the face and you fall to the ground, well, at least I know you're putting in the effort. Go for the home run. And this movie, which I think we can all agree, probably does not hit a home run intentionally, hits a home run in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree with that. It, it set out to do something, and it did it. I, I don't know that it did it well necessarily, but it did do what it intended to do. I, be, I believe that. I mean, take, for example, you know, List, think in your mind, what are the great training montages that you've seen in cinema? I'm off the top of my head. Karate Kid, Kill Bill 2, Rocky 4, Fear No Evils, look at my photos scene and realize you're an angel. <laughs> there is merit to what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that putting Fear No Evil is an entirely subjective choice. <laughs> true <laughs> then what comes after that uh, we're going i'm i'm calling an audible we're gonna skip over my pet murder barn I, and I i have to say that i i spent that entire scene thinking oh my god he's gonna fuck that dog yeah <laughs> yeah there really is something to that I, yeah i was waiting was for that very into whatever he was doing to that dog and i'm like oh god oh god <laughs> okay he's okay he's drinking his blood that's all right <laughs> yeah, but I will say that this is probably one of the fastest scenes. I mean, unless I missed it earlier, but I think this is one of the fastest scenes of introduce the dog, kill the dog. Yeah. No, it, it's not wasting a bunch of time. No. It's so just- for those who are worried, like, oh, I don't want to get emotionally attached to the dog, uh, you're fine. I mean, or- I know you'll see a dog and immediately go, oh, that's really cute. How dare you? But at least you didn't have the time to go, oh, but the dog did something really cute. It, it didn't. I mean, Gina, you and I have seen some minor characters want to fuck Jason's corpse. And I felt more <laughs> I, I felt more I, genuine I, desire I, in that I scene. Need, I need context. Okay. <laughs> At the beginning of Friday the 13th, <laughs> A New Beginning, we see Tommy Jarvis 1.0 in his dream in a rainstorm in Corey Feldman's backyard. Watch two guys dig up Jason Voorhees' corpse in a very, very shallow grave. But their enthusiasm conveys not that they want to see Jason in the flesh, but maybe, you know, go to the bone zone with the guy. They're really into it. No one is that enthusiastic about digging up a corpse. Come on. Yeah, I think that they, you know, they decided they were going to add a little bit of uh, character development and their character development was uh, deliverance. I I believe I counted the come on do it in that scene (laughs) and I totaled six or seven. I mean, that's a lot of come on and do it. All right. Personally. Okay. Um, You'll never never see that. You'll never look at that scene the same way again. I promise you. (laughs) I mean, uh, to quote a very popular saying on Reddit, I've fapped to worse. 
Um, so let's cut to the traveling Jaws Roadshow. Uh, turns out that this town has some sort of passion play that it puts on every single year. A concept, it waits until an hour in to tell us. But they're going to do it, goddammit. And apparently so we, this is like one of those you know events that the whole town turns out for. Which is unlikely. Yes. Which which then leads me to question that because usually those kinds of things are for very small towns. We're talking like almost villages, you know, hamlets. But this is clearly not a small, small town. This is something that is the size of, let's say, Twin Peaks. You know, you've clearly got a good 40 to 70,000 people who live here and yet somehow this is the big to do this is this is the yeah, yeah this is the social you know they're they're tailgating <laughs> they're laying out picnic <laughs> picnic blankets for for this retelling of, of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ <laughs> yeah and this is uh this is a thing and i mean i've got to admit if i live there i'd go yeah well it seems like a real feat and then the mayor of the town uh, introduces a reporter for some reason for a scene that goes on and on and on. But it does reveal one great line to quote, you don't mind, call, you don't mind me calling you Dick, do you, Dick? <laughs> At that point, you said Dick twice. So I'm going to, you know, he hasn't halted you. Uh, then we I mean, meet- with this movie, dicks <laughs> are very proudly a thing. So yes. Yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm not surprised either. And then we meet my new favorite character in the entire movie, Community Theater Jesus. <laughs> Community Theater Jesus has a following. Community Theater Jesus brings all the boys to the yard. Community Theater <laughs> Jesus is loved and respected by local children. Community Theater Jesus, have some, won't you? <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, in another scene that has, honestly, you you have to watch it to really bring it to bear, is Tony romancing the Queen Bee herself, Marie, by first holding a gun to her head and then inserting it, we assume, into her vagina. Yeah, he's gone He's gone full Billy Nolan and Carrie, and Carrie at this point. Yeah. And I, I'm assuming he's a little unsettled by his uh, his you know, boy shower encounter, but this doesn't really feel like that. No, this feels like something else entirely. And her response to this is, you sure that thing's not loaded? That is weirdly high on the list of priorities and yet you still have a gun in your vagina this this is a awkward fucking situation literally what was that u2 song from uh batman forever hold me thrill me kiss me kill me yes <laughs> it's completely inspired by this one scene <laughs> Oh, I can only imagine Bono and The Edge sitting down to watch Fear No Evil and taking notes. I would not put it past him. No, I wouldn't either. Uh, Let's cut to the local dive bar where the elite meet to get drunk toot sweet. And I I have to say something in this about this scene. Yes, please. I, I can believe a lot of things about this movie. 
Mm-hmm. I can believe that that angels disguise themselves as humans. Mm-hmm. I I can believe that the devil is real and he's reborn in a pasty upstate New York teenager. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I can even believe that you could kill someone by throwing a dodgeball at them really hard. Uh, yeah. But but I do not cannot believe that this shitty dive bar full of senior citizens has Patty Smith on the jukebox. <laughs> <laughs> the hippest fucking bar in Dumpfuck Upper State New York. Who in that crowd took the last quarter out of their their <laughs> lucky strike plate work pants pocket and inserted it into the jukebox and said, Hey, let me pick that Hey Joe song that 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 artsy gal from, from New York City sings. I like that one. We also have to say it could very well be my second new favorite character in the entire movie coming to NBC this January, Chicago Dad. Chicago <laughs> Dad informs us that the even 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 though that Andrew's dad's like my son's the devil, he's like yeah, they're all kind of the devil. Uh, my kid took out my '79 uh, Grand Torino and he took a drag racing, and then he comes back, it's all busted. You can't let him get you down. Like the sausage is still in his mouth, even though it isn't. <laughs> It just goes to show you that I think this is the core message of the film, that parenting is hell. Literally. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. So, you know, it doesn't matter if your kid's the Antichrist or your kid just likes to, you know, crash the family car into a bunch of other cars. Yeah. They're all they're all assholes. They're all dicks. They're, they're all dicks, whether or not they have them or... They're just in a car getting fingered by a, a six shooter. Um, they're all sort of terrible people. I, now I'm that line fingered by a six shooter. Uh-huh. I'm just envisioning that cartoon revolver from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> just <laughs> going to town. Oh, and wow. this is not okay. You know what? I have fap to worse. This is this is not going in the in the spank bank. <laughs> How how about this scenario? Okay, picture it in your mind, and um, you know I'm if you're ready, yourself, nervous. you'll never know. You're you're in what appears to be a bowling alley. You're a Bob's Big Boy. We're never told, and lots of sexy teens, and by teens I mean people who are 25, are all just hanging out in formal wear. Are they going to a dance? We're never told. But <laughs> Tony disappears, and then the next thing we see is him beating up a guy who has a full fucking beard in the men's room. And you're kind of like, oh, he peed on my shoe. And you're kind of like wondering, yeah, but where was your shoe at the time? I have the feeling that this has awakened some things in Tony. Yeah, is this one of the, who was that? um, Was it a senator or a congressman who tapped a foot under the bathroom stall and it caused a a whole kerfuffle? He had a wide stance, Jonathan. Okay, you know what? That is a very plausible argument. <laughs> yes. uh, and you know what, Tony? He may have a wide stance. <laughs> and bless wide. him for realizing that his stance is wide at this point in his life and exploring his wide stance. That's very, very true. But Tony and the crew get kicked out of wherever the fuck they are. So they... I, we're never seeing their decision-making process, but I Did guess it, at some point they all decide that they're going to head off to Castle Dracula on the. By bay. the way, am I am I wrong? But was Tony in the same bar 
that Andrew's father was in, or am I completely mistaken? They're they look like different places necessarily. They look like different places, but okay. they're cut together so quickly that you could easily get that impression. We're never given a distinct locale for that sort of teen hangout that they're at. But sooner than, you know, before you know it, zip, zam, zoom, we're off to the races and we're, we're at with uh, Andrucifer, who's now busy decapitating statues like a real Exorcist three, the Legion. And uh, he's got these auto-tune demon screams. Yeah. At this point, the performance of Andrew could best be described as tremble-tastic. There's a lot of micro shaking. (laughs) There it is again. I love it. Yeah, there's more speak. Yeah, he uh, he he. You kind of devote himself, body and soul, to playing this character. (laughs) Um, and. I guess there's a reason there's a lot of energy flowing through him and he causes what can only be described as the unfunkiest version of thriller ever to break out as, <laughs> uh, as Gina described it earlier, oatmeal face zombies start coming out of every available crevice of this joint and they all have brought their own shovels. So is this a cemetery? I thought it was some sort of like, just like a castle or something. Well, the well, river. What castle is complete without a cemetery? That's <laughs> right. The riverboat captain who was giving us backstory in the last episode did say that the guy who lived there, who was the previous Lucifer, he had killed all the workers who had built the castle, but apparently he had killed all of them and buried them in the most easily exited uh, graves that I've ever seen. They're just below the surface. They're just kind of tucked in a crack like they're a hot dog corpse. And then they just pop out and they're ready to party uh, like it's Return of the Living Dead. Well, I mean, look, consider the, the you know, the the last Lucifer is pretty much like, like you know, has the same kind of, you know, no- noodly physique that, uh, that, that Andrusifer has. So this sort of reverie uh, with that Andrusifer is uh, causing on Castle Dracul by the Bay is mirrored by the Passion Diaries uh, <laughs> crowd. Uh, and we see that uh, Margaret is in possession of the murder weapon that Father Damon killed the last Lucifer with. So once again, in movie after movie, people are able to get murder weapons out of the police's hands and hold on to them themselves. What is happening with the police departments of 1980? Well, they, they, you know, they're a little understaffed. You know, a lot of, a lot of them had been, you know, sent to the big cities at that point. Yeah. It's also the age of cocaine. So (laughs) I think we can safely assume that a few police officers are casually rubbing their noses and do not notice an elderly woman sneaking in for a processional cross and just <laughs> casually sneaking back out. Um, yeah, this this is where the movie just kind of happens, like scenes roll into scenes. We see Tony and the gang forcibly barter for a boat with a six-pack, and they head off to Zombie Island. But then Andrew's dad, after his bar fight, comes back to the house discovers that his wife has been Lady Havishamming 
this entire time in a room that I guess he's decided not to go into. I was going to say, did she just, they just left her in there? I mean, she, she was, she was conscious and, and seemed to be, you know, seemed to have her faculties enough to know what he was going to do. So did they just leave her there to literally have cobwebs collect on her head? She has cobwebs on her. I mean, the last time we saw her, she was at least being helped to smoke. By the way, (laughs) that scene, that scene. Okay. Do you notice how much of the filter she like wraps her lips around? It's not, (laughs) let me just, you know, put the cigarette in my lips. It's let me purse my lips and imbibe this cigarette pretty much halfway down my throat so that I can absolutely get that tobacco flavor everywhere. <laughs> it's uh, it's wild, man. And so <laughs> Andrew's dad, I guess, has had enough of this and decides to release her from this mortal coil by just shooting her in the head. And which, we don't which get... flings her out the window. Yeah, <laughs> that's the best part. <laughs> I, I genuinely think he didn't have a real gun. I think it was a gun that when you pull the trigger, one of those like a uh, boxing gloves just punches her in the side of the head and flings her out of the place. Damn it, I grabbed the wrong gun. Oh, this is, a, this is one of those Roger Rabbit guns. I've been fooled again. This town is rife with Roger Rabbit guns. Uh, uh, this This town is supplied by Acme. I love it. <laughs> So I I get the feeling that this third act has a lot of connective tissue that either didn't get filmed or is missing because things just kind of happen. Like the cops get called, but then they're called away. Kids go skinny dipping. And then all of a sudden the zombies who are nowhere near them are like, oh, time to attack, I guess. There are children here and they just, they carefully get into the water <laughs> and go <laughs> a very ginger zombie. Like I'm undead, but I don't want to slip on the edge of this pool. I may, I may have an oatmeal face, but Lord knows I hate waterlogged pants. <laughs> That's, well, you know what? No, no one enjoys wet denim. It's just not a good feel. It just, wait, it just oh, weighs you down. And during all of this, by the way, if I'm right, the passion play yeah it has gone completely awry with uh how did you call him community jesus community theater jesus yeah he is community theater jesus he is stigmatizing all over the place he has a full-blown barbecue sauce explosion Uh, and it's it's impressive and it actually causes other people in the audience to get sympathetic stigmata barbecue explosion I mean, and then, they, and then everybody flees. They, they just leave him strapped to the cross. It's it's yeah. priorities. He's he's community theater Jesus. He's a local celebrity. Yeah, he can. He's not exactly paying his union dues. We can leave him for you know a backup. Well, listen, he knew what he was getting into when he went up on that cross. So he's paying for the rest of our sins while we beat feet the fuck off this beach. Uh, everyone starts bleeding and running. Thunderbolts and lightning. Very, very frightening. Me? Sure. <laughs> and then to top it off, Community Theater Jesus is struck by disco lightning. And the second coming three, Tokyo Drift, has officially begun. <laughs> begun? Begin. Begun, begin. Begin the begin. 
it happens. Anyways, it happens. Uh, <laughs> we then cut to one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie in which out of nowhere, Tony and Marie are favorite couple because you got to have one. He is unbeknownst to anything espousing that no matter what, he will protect Marie. Now, we don't know if they've encountered zombies up until this point, or this is just something he's decided to say. But he's like, no matter what, I will protect you. Cue the zombies. And he could not fucking leave fast enough. And this is the second time, this is the second time that someone has done that. In fact, yeah. I got a little confused because there's another couple in which um, um, the character was named Tommy. Yeah. And, and I thought that was them. And I thought that it was just like, wait, but they just, they didn't this couple already get killed? But yeah, in both, in both cases, like as soon as trouble shows up, the, the, the boy is just you know, fleeing for his life. No, it's, it's, it's really a, an amazing situation because if we think about it with a little bit of a SpongeBob SquarePants mentality, this is how it goes down. Because Tony basically says, Marie, don't worry. I'll protect you no matter what. Two seconds later. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> he just, he doesn't even look back. He just goes. It's, it's like that Bugs Bunny card. Well, goodbye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I see that you've got things going on. I'm going to be going. So Tony beats feet, finds a new girlfriend immediately. Just a random girl crying yeah, in the corner. Like, like her, he just decides he's, he, he must help. Left his girlfriend behind to die, presumably. And, and no. you know, oh, wait, I'm supposed to be a hero. You need oh. rescuing. Okay. He needs to pick up the pieces somewhere, and she's okay, available. But, but let's, let's admit right now that we should be impressed by Tony's ability to move on in a brisk fashion. <laughs> That's right. He's not lingering in the past. No. He's living he, in the now. His his heart is full of love, and he wants to share it. Uh, his heart is full of love, and apparently that love instantly translates into a pair of, if I may be so bold, luscious breasts. I, I, you know, in a way, I, I'm, I'm sort of glad that uh, they, they use Oppie, an obvious stand-in for this, because I was totally expecting... Did you guys ever watch The Kids in the Hall? Yeah. The, the sketch where they're in the steam room and he like, he's like, have I always had these? And he has like, <laughs> these breasts and they're very obviously like, it's like a, like a foam rubber, like chest plate he's wearing. I, I was certain that that was what they were going to look like, but no, they just use some shirtless woman and but shot can her you imagine, in tight close can, up. Can you imagine how they were explaining that? They just turned to the entire crew and said, all right, ladies, line up. We need one of you to expose your chest. You're not going to have your head in it. We're going to have some guy stand behind you to paw at your chest before opening up your blouse, opening up the shirt to reveal your bare breasts. Who's in will get you double the catering today. <laughs> That's I don't the think this only movie way I can think this catering budget. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it really is. That's the only way my mind can put that whole scene together in the context of reality. Like, how did they shoot that? What was the process of them saying, okay, we're going to need to have a woman expose her breasts, but there needs to be male hands opening up the shirt. Who are we going to get? And the director is sitting there going, we'll figure it out on set. Like, day of, we'll we'll just wave a couple 20s in the air. (laughs) 
<laughs> but and yet it works. And you're thinking it's but, uh, you guys. It's shocking. This sounds crazy. It, this is, sounds shocking. It sounds insane. How can they possibly top such a reveal? I point you to <laughs> Andrew in his Antichrist caftan. Oh now, wait, wait. Yeah, we, we got. I I have things to say about this this look. For, for one thing, his hair has gotten curly, which 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 <laughs> definitely suggests that there was a a a uh, an extended period of time between when they shot his earlier scenes and when they shot this one, because mm-hmm. his hair is much longer and considerably curlier, yeah. and, and this chiffon like negligee he's wearing <laughs> it, it, it looks like something a a, a horny middle light aged housewife would wear to spice up her marriage yeah this looks like you're trying to seduce the graduate and he just <laughs> has it like did he always have that in his closet did he dip into the previous lucifer's closet for this did he go shopping for this ensemble we're never told. Castle Dracula has an amazing walk-in closet. Oh, yeah, that's very, very true. <laughs> it just It's like, yeah, I could dress up like, like Dracula, but let's go to the bride section and see what's doing here. And lo and behold, he finds something that is both revealing yet demure. It's, it's a classical look. Like, I almost... Well, here's, See here's, the, the, here's the interesting... Here's why this movie is interesting to me, because, you know, for 1981, this was kind of weird and daring. Yes. I mean, you know, I feel like they are trying... You know, the word didn't exist at the time, but I, I think that they're trying to go for some kind of gender-fluid thing that would, you know... I mean, he still looks like, you know, a boy, but, you know, he's clearly wearing makeup, and he has, you know, his hair has gotten longer, and... and it's a very David Bowie look. Yeah, he's got this very filmy, revealing, you know, gown. It's a gown. You know, yeah, you know cut in a, a way that, that is, you know, just, you know, just covers enough. And and he's trying to be alluring to Tony, which is, yeah. which is, which is an interesting thing that, you know, for, certainly for that time, must have been you know, a little baffling and uncomfortable for, for, for viewers. Well, I mean, forgive me if I'm incorrect here, but this is, uh, this is because, um, I'm Jewish. I grew up in a Jewish home. I went to synagogue, so I didn't really get a very firm understanding of, uh, Christian mythology, specifically when it came to Lucifer. But if I'm right, Lucifer was an angel cast out, but he was supposed to be very beautiful, but yeah, he was God, he was God's favorite angel. Yeah, if I'm right, aren't angels supposed to be asexual? Like they're not. They are. They don't. They don't have genitals. Yeah, you're. you're, Yeah, you're right. So, so in a way, Andrew uh, Andrewcifer presenting himself in a way that is both masculine, masculine, and feminine, but neither. It it would actually make a lot of sense. That being said, it's still rather daring because. I mean, doing that in 1981. I mean, this was filmed, if I'm right, in 79. So it's. You know, considering the time frame, it is a bit bold, but contextually in the story, it makes sense. But I still admire that it did it. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, I think there is a subtext to all of this. Like all of the angel characters, they've been body hopping and body hopping. So you have to assume like they haven't always been in the bodies of men. They haven't always been in the bodies of women. They're, They're just, it's a cycle and gender means less to them. And Lucifer 
transmorgifies multiple times once he's sort of in his full reveal. So I enjoy it for that reason. It is swinging for the fences. It has huge aspirations and it does not have huge aspiration money. Yes. <laughs> when it comes down. No, it's, that's very true. And I think that's why, as I said, it's, there's a charm to this film that it was that bold and daring without having the resources to do it. And yet it offered something that in the end is memorable and cohesive. It, you, but we're jumping ahead. I apologize. No, no, I, I, we're yeah. right in the same lane because Tony then responds to all of the stimuli. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Tony, he's Tony's, Tony's bodacious breasts. Yes. I Just, apologize. I, I, I love I mean, alliteration and you, that is... That is, but oh, you have God. to appreciate just the beauty that's on display here. I mean, he's got a great rack, and he should acknowledge that. But when confronted and he does with so. Andrusifer, he, he, uh, he, he, he does he does acknowledge it by yeah. as go ahead by stabbing the fuck out of himself. <laughs> <laughs> like, fuck you. So, but in one sense, he's thrilled. In another sense, he's like, I'm not going on anymore. Oh. Hi, new girlfriend. By the way, you're on your own. Stab, 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 and and R.I.P.D. Tony. But I think it's also, there's a thread with Tony and his arc that it weirdly makes sense that he would do that because there's clearly a bit of a homophobic air about him. I Mm -hmm. mean, he, he kissed Andrew in the showers and it became this whole horrific event for him. He comes out of the bathroom beating the shit out of a guy because he pissed on his shoe. But then again, you know, how did that happen? And then suddenly he has breasts, which makes him feminine. And I'm willing to bet that in his mind, in his character's mind, being gay is the same thing as being womanly, which is the same thing as being weak, considering his treatment of women. And so what's the normal recourse in that situation? What do you do? Well, you kill yourself. Yeah. There, he can't go on. He faces a possibility that he may not fit the male stereotype and the normal demography that he would fit into, and he cannot handle it. And for that alone, this movie is playing with ideas that are way out of its scope of control mm-hmm. or voice. And that's interesting. Does it do it well? I don't know. But yeah. and it's trying. <laughs> it, it is definitely trying. And apparently, although I haven't, because I looked for this and I haven't been able to find uh, a confirmation of it, but supposedly uh, Frank Lalogia was a gay man. So who knows? Um, I, if that's the case, or correction, he is if he is then he is a gay man it's and it would be very interesting to to learn a bit more if that's the case what was going on in his mind writing these kinds of events in that day and age yeah i mean there is definitely a conversation to be had uh that is slightly outside of our script yes about this as a piece of queer cinema. And I would love to hear more voices about that. I'm sure we will eventually. But I do find it a really compelling and interesting swing at issues that you would not think a Carrie meets Omen would ever even approach. 
and it no. tries to take them on. That's that's worth like a hand clamp for sure. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. As you say, it swings for the fences, and more often than not, it misses. As a matter of fact, it's by an exponential amount. But when it works, it kind of really works. I mean, I think everything in the last 10 minutes is so fucking gonzo and beautifully bonkers that it is worth the price of admission. I mean, you got Anticifer, like, taking a comatose lady out onto a balcony, giving her a very awkward, horizontally approached strawberry Twizzler juice kiss. (laughs) And then, but don't worry, everyone. Uh, our our heroes approach. They've got their super cross with them, and they're like, "Lucifer, don't!" And then he goes, "Oh, you're here. Great stab." <laughs> and they're yeah. like, "Oh, maybe they we should have done something." They didn't stop shit. No, no they've arrived both a day late and a grand dollar short. And then after this girl is stabbed, then they release the Supercross disco beam and he gets zappinified. Great timing, everyone. It turns into, it basically turns into Laser Floyd at the end. (laughs) It really does. It really does. To, to, To a fantastic degree. Was anyone, I feel like Andrew Safer's outfit in this is a proto version, almost goth. Of the JLo dress. It, it, there's a lot in common here with that in the JLo dress. It's it's draped in the same way. It gives a deep V, and you get a lot of upper thigh, but not so much the crotch. I I just I'm just gonna say Dolce and Gabbana may have been watching this movie. <laughs> I would not put it past them. I firmly believe that a lot of fashion designs absolutely take a lot of influence from horror and they just, pardon the pun, uh, hate to wear it on the sleeve. (laughs) There's a lot of transformations that begin to happen at this point in the movie and Jusifer sort of goes towards a crustacean-faced Pokemon here. Um, We get very close to seeing Andrew's penisifer and then... (laughs) The cross goes Super Saiyan. The three angels combine in sort of a holy Voltron. And Andrusifer explodes in Captain EO vision. And that's it. And cut to credits. credits. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. That is also one of the most amazing moments where it's just like explosion. And then in three seconds, fade to black, start the credits. There is no release from the climax whatsoever it builds it builds it builds it hits we're done yeah we don't know what the world is after this and we don't fucking care castle dracula explodes like it's the end of water world the stunt show and then all right everybody you don't have to go home but you can't stay here (laughs) evil has been vanquished (laughs) (laughs) the end (laughs) i mean they finally they done did it they done did it, everyone. But did uh, they all evil is vanquished. Well, I, that, this was the whole thing. Like this was the holy war. He's he's trying to start the second coming, and but no, they zap him, and he laser floyds, and then boom, and that's it. Everyone lives happily ever after. That 
no more evil in the world. We're all fine. The, you know, that's why we're living the amazing lives and the, where a world in which fairness and, and, and the right, uh, individual rights are so valued nowadays. We don't have moral quandaries anymore because this happened. Lucifer is dead finally. And now we're all, we're all great. It's super. Question. Mm -hmm. What happened to oatmeal faced zombies? Oh, I assume that they melted into pools of oatmeal. I'm really hoping. I think that is a bold assumption and that we are still waiting on Fear No Evil 2. (laughs) (laughs) There's so much story left in this. What happened to that caftan? And where can I buy one? And can I wear it next Halloween? Can I get into Andrusifer shape in that amount of time? We may never know. Can I also know why we had to suffer through the scene where Andrew was told about all the universities that he got accepted into with scholarships only for that to not mean a damn thing before or after said scene? Yeah, I mean, why did he try so hard in school if he knew that he was never going to college? Yeah, but I don't think, like, he, I don't think he did know at the time. I think he uh, you know, was, was you know, a typical troubled young lad, but but didn't know till after uh, after. He kills somebody with a dodgeball of the you know, the, the level of power that he uh, that he possessed. Oh man, this movie is glorious with all yeah, its they, localized fog. You banks. know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna argue that he did know because remember the first time that we meet Andrew, it's there's a open book on his desk and suddenly it shuts as his shadow closes it, gets up and goes downstairs. The shadow bypassing his father and suddenly he's at the dinner table. Homeboy knew that he was evil. Yeah, I mean, he's been ruining his parents' sex lives for 18 years now. So yeah. he's he's soups evil, Gina. Well, uh, yeah. soups. Fair, fair point. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna sit here and say that he's always been evil. He's always been awful, and yet he's always wanted to get a full ride scholarship into Yale. Yeah, <laughs> just to have it, just to lord it over everyone else. Because deep down, he's evil. Yeah, cause, well, that's the thing. The devil's a dick. Not only am I going to destroy the world, I got a full ride. I'm going to gloat. Meh. Meh. What a prick. (laughs) (laughs) So we've come to that portion of the podcast in which we choose our own death venture. That's right. This is where we decide of the deaths presented in this section of the movie. If you were forced to die that way, which one would you choose and why? Up for bid in this section, we have torn apart by worker zombies crucified on stage as part of a community theater production, forehead gravy madness, grow breasts, then stab yourself, mouthful of strawberry sauce, then stabbed, broken neck by Mark, someone who is accepted into Columbia, I guess. Um, He's got that going. (laughs) Or you can explode in disco lighting. Jonathan, as our guest, I turn to you for your answer first. Can do I have to pick from that selection or can I choose another death from this section that we have been discussing? Sure, go for it. I really want to go out with a boxing glove gun that pops me out of a window. <laughs> I forgot that one. Yeah. I did forget that one. That that's, is that's definitely good. number one. That's true. Now you're because gonna have here's to the thing, I'm gonna be webs for a while. That, that's totally to that. fine. That's totally okay. okay. But I'm gonna sit here and say this. If I grew luscious in your words breasts then i ain't stabbing myself because you know what i'm rocking them 
Yeah. Well, but the, I didn't. I didn't write the movie. I, I didn't come up with this death. That is what. Uh, yeah. Presented. We're coming up with Fear No Evil Two, and I'm ready for my role. You're workshopping it. Well, Mr. Director, have, I'm ready for my close production company. Like, let's let's reach out. Let's figure out the <laughs> right situation here. You can talk a big game. Let's see you step up. All right, I, I will. I will give you whatever changes in my couch to make this movie. <laughs> and I think you take. can do just as good of a job. <laughs> right. There's going to be a lot of paper mache, and then I'm going to just <laughs> slap some oatmeal on people's faces. Gina, what say you? Well, uh, for a little touch of nostalgia for my my teenage years when I spent a lot of time moping and listening to uh, to the Wall, I, um, I would have to be laser Floyd to death. <laughs> I can't. I, I can't think of any other more appropriate way for me to go. Yeah, it's a good I, way to go. It really is. I don't want to be crucified on stage in community theater. I feel like I've suffered enough in the community theater scope. I'm going out by disco lightning. That is the way I feel like my maker would want me to traipse off into the unknown from that moment on. That's a great way to go. That's that's very good self-awareness. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate that about you. <laughs> Thank you very much. And so uh, before we say that just about does it, we have to take care of some business. Hey, Jonathan, you got a lot going yes. on. Uh, why don't you tell people where they can find out more about you and what you're doing? Yes. So um, that's a great question. Uh, so currently I am one half of the Horror Collective, a recently announced acquisition and distribution label focusing on domestic. Uh, our first movie, Greenlight, will be coming out on February 25th on VOD and digital platforms. It stars Chase Williamson, Caroline Williams. It's the feature debut from Graham Denman. It's, and I'm not saying this just because I'm putting out the film. I am saying this because I genuinely believe this. It's a very solid movie. It's very good, very entertaining about a young director given the chance to shoot a feature and the producer tells him uh in order to keep your job you have to make the last kill of the film real so it's fun it's good i really like it i hope everyone gives it a chance to find out more about me you can simply follow me on twitter at jonathan barkan to know more about the horror collective you can follow us on pretty much any platform at the horror co and yeah, uh, that's really about it. But I just want to take a moment to also say thank you to the two of you for having me and for introducing me to such a unique and exciting and, if I'm going to be honest, batshit crazy movie. <laughs> <laughs> this is our purpose here on Earth. I, I feel like every once in a while we find a real gem. I, I think Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2, we were able to put a nice big spotlight that on that early other people have taken up that mantle since then. But uh, this is one, I don't know that I'd put it on that level, but it is really, it is one of those gems that's trying, man. It's trying. It's it's way weirder in, in an entertaining way than, than I ever imagined it would be. Yeah. Uh, Gina, where can people find you on these here internets? Well, I have my own website in which I write about movies and old television and pop culture at GinaRadcliffe.com. I am also a staff writer at TheSpool.net, and you can find me on Twitter under Porcelain72. 
Do it today, people. Check it out. Hey, before we go any further, is there any news on the Patreon front for the Kill by Kill podcast? We do. We have a new patron. Uh, Christina Spetnuski just became a $10 patron. So she will wow. be uh, she will be put in the running next month to uh, to for the chance to choose a movie for us to watch. Oh, so thank you. We've Christina. had some real gems. And thank you for, for actually putting in your name the pronunciation of it. That means a great deal to me. We, we Good both job, have Christina, a on to all names. fronts. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's giving it to us the, exactly the way we want it. She's putting cash on the table so that we can bring this uh, podcast to you for free. And that's the way we'd like to do it. Uh, you can, of course, follow the Kill by Kill podcast on Twitter at Kill by Kill Pod. We have the Facebook group and page if you want to discuss the movies in more detail. And, of course, we're occasionally on Instagram at Kill by Kill Podcast. And so that just about does it for us until 2020, everyone, in which it's time for, let's say, a nightmare. Hey, wait, whoa, whoa. How about a new nightmare? Wait, mm. how about Wes Craven's new nightmare? <gasps> I know. We thought they told us Freddy was dead, and it turns out they kept making these fucking movies, Gina. How did they? I, I feel so betrayed. But wait. okay, uh, yeah, I feel a little betrayed too. You had me on for this pile of shit instead of Wes Craven's New Nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like New, Ni- New Nightmare is going to be a very interesting. I mean, it's not, there's not going to be a lot to make it's fun gonna, of. It's going to be an interesting 20, it's going to be interesting 20 minutes of talking or so. I mean, it's going to be a really long blowjob of how much we like New Nightmare <laughs> is what it comes down to. It is, funny story, New Nightmare was the very first nightmare film I saw in the franchise. And then I went back to the beginning and started going through, but God bless it. I love that movie. It's it's a wonderful tone poem. I think it's a really interesting insight into Wes Craven and what he felt about his career at that point. And it's on the precipice of him flipping the script with Scream and really reinventing his career. It's one of the best movies he ever made. And that's saying something because he made some good movies. He also made Deadly Friend. So there's a lot of ups and downs there. He also made Invitation to Hell. <laughs> right. I might remind you, Shocker's in there. Hey, speaking of which, uh, uh, we have Shocker's biggest fan on to talk about New Nightmare, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. That's in the new year. But uh, thank you ever so much for t- uh, coming on, Jonathan, and talking about uh, Fear No Evil. Uh, this has been super fun, and I hope people check it out. It is currently available uh, on most streaming platforms, but it has a great Blu-ray release from Screen Factory. I urge people to check that one out. It's fantastic. And so for myself, for Jim, and for Jonathan, bye-bye, everyone. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. one hell of a fucking helicopter everyone my apologies uh apparently an episode of riptide is broken out above my house um don't uh, don't get swatted please no no that that would be the worst